Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in the film room. And each and every week, we're bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. And I am joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I am doing very well. It's always a good week after an Eagles win. Um, very strange game, which I think we'll get into. I actually watched this game, which is very weird for me, in a public place. So I found a Philly bar down in London near Waterloo Station. So I watched it with lots of Eagles fans. There was lots of Fly Eagles fly chants. It was sounded great until we were losing. And then I thought, what have I done? Um, I also had no internet, which was a very strange experience because it's really weird watching a game without being able to check what anyone said online. So I literally had no online takes at all in this one um it was going on but i couldn't check my phone so it was it was a strange experience um but yeah i'm all good i'm excited to talk about this one i think there's a lot we were talking off air actually about how um long this took us both to watch the game i think we've both been a bit rushed this week because it just felt like there were so many things to watch sometimes you get a feel of a game and you can skip through things and think that's important that maybe that's not so important on, on defense especially it took me forever so I think my thread this week is about 15 plays on defense and I had to reduce it because I had 20 recorded. And well, I've got the time <laughs> to write about 20 plays, but I, I, and it could have been more, but there were so many things. So this is where the podcast is good because we can get into things a little bit in more, uh, a little bit more detail than we can do elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys be sure and follow our stuff. I'm putting out all 22 videos. Johnny is going to be writing for bleeding green nation. This is sort of the, the companion, if you will, uh, to those pieces. So be sure you check those out. And as always, I'll, I'll put together a film thread when this drops on Twitter. For those of you listening on podcasting platforms, you can go uh, look in the BGN radio feed. You can look on my Twitter, on Johnny's Twitter. The film thread will be there. For those of you watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see the plays on screen. But uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Before we do, though, one last... Uh, Please leave us ratings, five-star reviews and ratings on Apple iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Those really help us get a gauge for how this podcast is landing for you guys. So be sure you do that after you listen to this episode. So every week we have the decision, do we want to start offense or defense? Some weeks there's just a side of the ball that you think people want to hear about more. Uh, this week it's just bizarre because one side of the ball was so good. One side was so bad. Uh, we're going to start on the negative so we can end on the positive. So let's start off with our defensive takeaways from the All-22 film. Uh, Johnny, why don't you lead us off? What was your first takeaway? I'll just spend about half an hour on this one thing because I really think we could. Um, the secondary was just really strangely poor in this game. 
And I think the Eagles have done a really good job adapting to opposing offenses this year. Um, it just felt all wrong. It, it, it literally felt like every single time Sam Howe threw the ball, it was going to be completed to a wide open receiver. So you're going to talk a little bit afterwards about um, bunches in particular. I'm going to talk about more about what Washington did and sort of where I have problems with how the Eagles, um, sort of how they handled it, I guess. So the first play I actually posted to my Fred showed this nicely. Washington came out with just pure quick game. Like they did not want Sam Howe getting hit at all. It was quick game after quick game. You saw double slant, as you can see on the screen now, if you're uh, watching, double slant consistently. Um, they took advantage of Sidney Brown not being necessarily a slot cornerback. It just felt like it was quick game after quick game after quick game. And there's a lot of talk about did the Eagles play enough press coverage and are they too far off coverage? Um, I've always still sort of avoided that because I sometimes think it's a little bit overblown. But um, play two of the Fred as well, actually, was the one that really bothered me. Because when you watch it back, it's quite strange. You've got Brian Robinson at wide receiver. Um, he's not a particularly great pass catching running back. And you've got James Bradbury like 10 yards off him. And I was watching it thinking sort of why? Like what's the rationale behind having James Bradbury 10 yards off a running back? And it's just so easy. So what Washington did, and I think the flaw with this Eagles defense is if their pass rush doesn't win, the defense doesn't win. And basically what Washington did was they did everything possible that they could do to get rid of the Eagles pass rush. It was quick game after quick game after quick game. But what was depressing from my point of view was that it's too easy to say it was just slants and screens because it actually wasn't because what Washington then did is they started building off the quick game and the Eagles defense just couldn't really cope and then they got stuck in a horrible world where they weren't defending the quick game but they also were getting beat down the field I mean Slay got done badly on a, on a shot down the field I think that was uh, number five in my thread as well um that I've posted now I have seen he's come out on Twitter and said it was an all-out blitz which is why he was sitting so much on the short route that's fair enough but they only sent six men blitzing and Washington quite clearly could have six in protection and I always think if you're going to send an all-out blitz and you're going to make sure your cornerbacks are sitting on short routes you better have plus one in sort of as in plus one in the box and you're blitzing one more than they can handle otherwise if they pick everyone up you're in huge trouble. And despite the blitz, both Nicobe Dean and Jalen Carter have to win their one-on-one -on -one matchups. And if they don't, then that could have been a big play as well. Um, the first touchdown, I saw people blame Reed Blankenship, who didn't have a great game, for not getting over across. But when you watch it, it's just poor by James Bradbury. Like, he's obviously seen enough of the short stuff, and he's tried to jump on what he thinks is going to be a curl or a slam. And I get that. But you also have to respect the vertical game. And Washington has good receivers. Um, and I just felt the Eagles' quarterbacks were really poor. So I've mentioned secondary as my point. But to be honest, we're going to focus on Sidney Brown later. I'm going to really talk about what I've spoken about is Slay and Bradbury. The Eagles pay him a lot of money. And they're two really good cornerbacks. And they're both healthy. I just didn't think they had good games. I mean, Slay had a number of plays that I haven't pointed out in this one. And I'm normally a big fan of Slay. Um, it felt like Washington knew exactly what the Eagles were going to call. When it, when, it, when the Eagles went man coverage, they went to bunches and stacks and quick game. When the Eagles played some more zone, um, they seemed to take advantage of it. The one play I really want to mention before um, I throw it to you for sort of bunches was the second touchdown, because I'm fascinated to hear what you think about this play. Um, I don't really get what the Eagles are doing. So the second touchdown, it looks to me just like straight up, they show too high. Then they rotate to single high and it just looks like straight up cover free. Now, uh, Kevin Bayard follows the sort of deep over, but that's very common for a safety to do. You expect him to do that. And Sidney Brown passes the vertical route off to nobody. And I watched his play at least 20 times. And I'm trying to figure out like, 
Are they just running straight up cover free? I mean, teams don't run straight up cover free anymore. I'm pretty sure every team has a match element where the slot cornerback carries a vertical route down the field. And that play just had me shaking my head and thinking, what were the Eagles preparing for? Um, because I didn't like that play. It, it looked really easy. And I know I did see some people who would defend the Eagles a lot on Twitter sort of point out, well, you know, it's the perfect call. But it wasn't like four verticals. It was only three deep routes. Um, I'm not really sure just what happened with the Eagles coverage. The spacing felt all wrong. There's loads of plays. Honestly, I, I could have posted about miscommunication as well. There were snaps where no one was covered down the field. There were multiple snaps, in fact, where no one was covered down the field. There was definitely miscommunication. There's one that I joked about on Twitter yesterday when Kevin Byard puts his hands up in the air, like, what is going on? And on that play, like two players were playing man coverage. One player was playing zone coverage and nobody covered um, a receiver on an intermediate out route. And it just didn't really get any better. Like the Eagles defense got better as the game went on in terms of stats and points. But I don't think the defense played any better. I mean, the third and fourth down that Washington missed at the end of the game is just bad throw by Sam Howe. The interception was a bad throw. I just didn't really understand what was going on with the secondary. And I wish I could give more analysis. It just felt like everything was bad from the cornerbacks. And that is a worry because the Eagles have Super Bowl aspirations this year. Without a doubt, they should do. Um, and Slay and Bradbury have been paid. They're on decent contracts and they're expected to be the outside cornerback. And I don't mind seeing Blankenship get beat a bit of man coverage. I expect it. I don't mind seeing Sidney Brown get beat a little bit. Again, I expect it. What I don't want to start seeing is you not being able to trust Slay and Bradbury to lock up receivers one-on-one -on -one, or at least do a decent job. Because I don't know about you, and I'd like to know your thoughts on the second touchdown because I've got on, on a waffle as always. But I, I just thought the whole secondary in general was just poor. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you get on to your point about bunches. And but also, what did you think about the second touchdown? Like, what did you think the Eagles were doing there? Yeah, I was going to talk about this one a little bit with Sidney Brown uh, because I spent a lot of time looking at this one, trying to figure out what was going on. And the Eagles rush five, so they're only dropping six in coverage. And so I think they're playing like a fire zone coverage, three deep, three underneath. And as best I can tell, uh, I, I think, I think this play is ultimately on Sidney Brown because Sidney Brown has to carry a vertical. He, he's in a seam flat. If the, if the guy runs a vertical route, number two runs a vertical route, Sidney Brown has to carry him upfield. And he should be doing it with outside leverage because the safety, it's Kevin Byard here, should be working from inside out. I think there's two problems on this play. The first problem is that Brown hesitates. He gets outside, but he's too far outside. Those of you here watching the clip, you can see he doesn't have a chance. But also, Kevin Byard follows the crosser for far too long. You've got you know three routes coming on this one side. He follows the one crosser, leaving that hole in the middle of the field. And he could have passed that off to Slay. Slay doesn't have any deep threats. So I think it goes both ways there. I think it's a bad play by both Brown and Byard. I guess I would say I'd put more of the fault on Sidney Brown. Um, just poor execution there, I think, between Brown, who's playing in the slot for the first time of his career, and also between Kevin Byard, who's playing his first game with the Eagles. So there's probably an element of miscommunication in that one too. Uh, but that's kind of what I think was going on on that one, personally. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't published my article yet, but I have started writing my defense one. And it's basically word for word what I said. I said, without well, being in the room, I don't know. I don't know how they call it. You've assumed, like me, that Sidney Brown is supposed to carry it there. Um, I, I, but who knows? And that's the. I saw a great tweet by Jimmy Kemsky talking about how much the Eagles have rotated their players in the secondary, not by choice, 
by injury. And I think you have to accept that there is going to be weaknesses. That's what I found so disappointing about Slane Bradbury is they're the two sort of normally players that are there every week. Their job should be pretty easy. Um, I can forgive a few execution issues from Sidney Brown, from Kevin Byer, who got there literally, what, four or five days ago. I could accept that. It was more the play at the outside corners that was really, really worrying. Um, however, despite saying that I don't blame all the secondary, I have a massive problem with the Eagles dealing with bunches and stacks. It's been happening all year. I think we've pointed it out since week one and week two. So do you want to get into a little bit more about what you saw um, from the Eagles dealing with bunches? Because I think you're going to say the same as what I think, which is uh, I wasn't very happy with it. Yes. So I did a, I did a short all 22 video on the Eagles dealing with bunches. I'll walk through some of the plays here, but on the first play that I'm going to show on the screen, uh, the Eagles are defending bunch with a linebacker and two cornerbacks over the three receiving threats. And so I've spoken before about often you can box check against bunches where you've got sort of a first out deep first out or first in deep first out short, first in short. You can't do that if you're not four over three. So it's three over three. Um, on this first play, I don't know exactly what goes wrong. I think that Reed Blankenship is clearly keying a crosser from number three. Like at the snap, he steps down, hips pointed in, and it's the same guy that Zach Cunningham is on. So my best guess here is that Cunningham is supposed to take that receiver if he goes out and Blankenship takes him if he goes in and he runs sort of like an inside release and then breaks to the sideline and Cunningham leaves him. Reed Blankenship obviously can't get there and it would have been a big completion. It's a drop and Washington had several of those. You alluded to that. Uh, the other one is where they did a really poor job. This was the fourth down that Washington went for it and didn't get it. I think it was like fourth and one. They lined up in shotgun and then motion to empty, all of which is really dumb from a design standpoint on fourth and one. But they motioned to four strong, and that puts a lot of stress on your defense. And fortunately for the Eagles, Howell is locked in on this one-on-one -on -one matchup at the bottom of the screen with James Bradbury. And it ends up being incomplete because if he looks to the top of the screen, I mean, there's a guy running wide open. Like we talk about being NFL open, that throws Pop Warner open. I mean, he's 15 yards behind the defense with nobody in sight. That's a touchdown instead of a turnover on down. So the Eagles were struggling in bunches really early on the game. Uh, there was another instance in bunch where they're just playing straight up man. Now, a lot of times when you're three over three, you will try to like press the point man and your other two cornerbacks like or cornerback and safety will coordinate first in first out and you sort of pass it off that way. They don't do this on this one. And the point man is going to get up into Kevin Byard. And then Eli Ricks is playing on the same level as Darius Slay. And so there's just no room for Slay to get to this outside receiver running a drag route. I think this was a third and five on the first drive. And that's just an easy pitch and catch. Now, the one thing I did like about the Eagles is that the Washington came back to that near the end of the game. It was another key. I think it was a third down. It's the play that Slay got injured on. But they're in that bunch, and this time Ricks is back. He leaves that gap, and you see this time it's Zach Cunningham playing the point man instead of Kevin Byard, and he really gets aggressive and goes and hits the point man, jams him up to disrupt that release, and there's room for Slay to slide through. Now, you do open yourself up to, well, now your inside guy has to go over the top to get to the flat, and so you could open yourself up to that, but it's a tendency thing. Everything Washington was throwing was quick over the middle of the field, so I did like that 
when they came back to that look later in the game, the Eagles did have an answer. Uh, but overall, there's a lot of work to be done for the Eagles when it comes to defending bunches. It's something that they've really struggled with. Yeah, to be honest, you hit on everything I was going to say. Um, I don't have a huge amount more to add. The one that really annoyed me was the, the one of the worst ones, you, the last ones you mentioned, the third down, when you mentioned Eli Ricks and Darius Slay being on the same level, because it feels just a bit, e like, it just feels easy. Like, the NFL, I, I always say this every week, is not as complicated as it has to be. Like, if offensive coordinators are watching the tape this week, next whoever we play next week, the Cowboys, should have eight, nine, ten plays in bunches, in stacks, if they've got that in their playbook and they've practiced it this week, because... The Eagles have some ways of dealing with it, but it looks very basic in the way they deal with it. Um, and my worry is that we're in week eight now, and that's not like a one-off thing. That appears to be a theme. And we've mentioned this nearly every week. They've had problems with it. Um, before you get to your next point, because I know your next theme uh, is going to be about uh, Sidney Brown, which links to the secondary. We're going to talk later on about Jordan Davis. And there's one thing I want to mention about that play you just shown where Darius Lane and Eli Ricks are on the same level. The Eagles have a five-man front. And later on, we're going to come back and talk about Jordan Davis and the Eagles' five-man front. And the biggest worry I've had for a while is if the Eagles are going to be a light box team that requires five men to stop the run, it looks great, but you always, always lose a man in coverage. And I would question whether third down, for example, they need to be as aggressive with a five-man front there or whether they can drop an extra man into coverage. Because quite simply, what you can do, as you mentioned earlier, on a technical box, I mean, there are hundreds of different ways of playing it. And we always talk about not being too technical in this podcast because sometimes people can get a bit too fancy with their language. Let's make it very simple. If you have an extra man in coverage, you can put four over three. And you can call it triangle coverage when it's three over two, box coverage, five over three. I don't care what you call it, but essentially you have an extra man to cover three people. It's very simple. Um, so that's the problem with keeping a five-man front on third down. And everything, as you mentioned, there's great things to every play. Five-man uh, fronts, brilliant. It means you can run some great uh, blitz looks. You can run some cool stuff up front. But essentially, the Eagles were defending bunches a lot with three on three. And if you're going to defend bunches three on three with man coverage, I don't care how good your cornerbacks are. I don't care how good you pass off the routes. It's just really difficult to defend bunches with three on three. So I think, I hope the Eagles look at this and think maybe on plays like third and six, do we need to rush five? Can we get away with rushing four? Can we drop an extra defender into coverage? And that could help take away um, some of the issues that I think we saw in this game. But don't get me wrong, anyone who watched the All-22 this week, it's not always easy to see on the TV copy. Bunches were a huge issue and if that play goes for a touchdown that you mentioned earlier on um on fourth down rather than incompletion it's a very different game and there might be some very different reactions online this week because the eagles just flat out busted the coverage like they just didn't pick it up and it's not the first time it's happened so i expect to see dallas try a lot of this stuff um anyway do you want to talk about your second point which i believe is going to be about someone with a really interesting game so i'm excited to hear what you think about him because as, as i always say we don't talk about these players beforehand um, so what did you make of Sidney Brown's first game as a slot cornerback, I guess? Yeah, so before I get there, real quick, Dallas is going to play. They're going to put a lot of bunches on the field with CeeDee Lamb isolated as the solo receiver. Uh, for the same reason, the Eagles like to isolate A.J. Brown in three-by-one sets. Are you going to shade the coverage to Brown? Well, we know you struggle to cover bunches. Are you going to go plus one over the bunch? Well, we like C.D. Lamb, especially the way Darius Slay, James Bradbury have played last week. We liked our odds with those matchups. So look for that. I would expect the Cowboys to smash that all week. So Sidney Brown, my I, I jokingly say on Twitter every time he makes a big hit, I tweet it out and I'm like, Sidney Brown is my favorite eagle of all time. 
And then I'll like space down. I'll say, just kidding. And then I'll space down again and say, but maybe. And I just love watching this guy play. Uh, I've got a few clips. I did a whole old 22 on him that will be up. You can check out. I've got a few clips I'm going to talk through. The first one is one that you showed already, the quick game. It's his first coverage rep of the game, and I think he does a poor job in the slot. Like At the top of his drop, when he tries to initiate contact with the receiver, he's way off balance. Like You can see his his butt is back, his weight's on his heels, and he just tries to like reach out and hit the receiver. And that's just the easiest slant route you're ever going to throw for Sam Howell. Easy completion. Um, the Eagles really like him as a run defender, more so maybe than they like him as a... Uh, pass defender because a lot of times and I think I'm not I won't say for certain that he never played a third down snap but it really felt like they were taking him off the field on late downs when they were expecting pass but the reason you put him in on early downs is this next play he's coming from the W like outside outside the opposite hash mark run blitzing through the B gap and he's able to just come through and light this up uh, gets a tackle for loss in the backfield on Brian Robinson uh on another play here, uh, he's in the slot, and I thought he did a really good job passing off routes with Darius Slay. Slot receiver like runs a sit route. The inside receiver breaks inside, and I thought they did a good job passing this off, and Brown stayed over that in-breaking route. And then Slay misses the tackle, and he comes down and finishes it off. And that's not the only time in the game that he would finish off a tackle for Darius Slay. So, uh this is the clip from the touchdown that we already talked about. I won't talk about that one again. I think that's just probably poor technique from Sidney Brown. That one's probably a teaching point moving forward. But on this one, you've got Sidney Brown in the slot at the bottom of the screen. And this play is incredible to me because he's at the same depth as Zach Cunningham. And Zach Cunningham loves to fire downhill and hit the running back. And I don't think this is a blitz play for Sidney Brown because Reed Blankenship doesn't step down to take his receiver from the safety. Like, I think he just reads this. I think he's in coverage and he reads this. But even if he doesn't, he's the same depth as Cunningham, but all the way outside the opposite hash. And he's the guy that gets into the backfield to make this play. That's just incredible range. Like, when you have that, it makes it so much easier for you as a defense to play the run. I thought he was fantastic in the run game. Uh, he had another rep where he was put in a really difficult spot in the slot covering Terry McLaurin on a slot fade with no help over the top. And I think he does a pretty good job. I mean, it's a tough throw. If it's a good, if it's on the money, it's a touchdown and there's not a lot you can do about it, but I thought he did a good job there. And then of course I have to end here with the hit. I mean, everybody saw the hit. He's just in cover two, dropping sees McLaurin coming across the screen and just boom comes down, hammers him at the catch point. I mean, he hangs on to it. He dropped the next two. Uh, some people might say that he was here in Sidney Brown's footsteps, whether he was on the field or not. So overall, I thought it was a mixed bag with Sidney Brown. I really like what I saw from him. I like his aggressiveness. I, I mean, he gives that one touchdown I would put on him. He's not the best in coverage, but I wouldn't say that, you know, he was just like exploited in coverage. He only allowed six yards after the catch. So, uh, you might get catches, but he was rallying and tackling. And a lot of times when you're playing that spot drop zone, that's the main goal anyways. So overall, I was encouraged by Sidney Brown. Now I want, I want Bradley Roby back in the slot as soon as he's healthy, but I think he should continue to play. And I think he played better than Eli Ricks in this game. Yeah. It's, 
Oh, he's so much fun to watch. Like, how can you not love it when he plays? He's going to be a fan favourite. My concern with Sidney Brown is what is he? So people talk a lot about like positionless players and versatility, and I'm always a little bit, I think it's a bit overrated personally, as in you have to play somewhere on every down. So you were spot on. Um, Eli Ricks was coming in on third down in obvious passing situations, which basically tells you the coaching staff doesn't think he's very good in pass coverage. You don't sub him out for an undrafted rookie in obvious passing situations if you think the guy's great in coverage. And that first rep against literally the first play of the game, his technique is all over the place. Like He does not look like a slot cornerback. The problem is, in the modern NFL, with teams running nickel at such a high rate, slot cornerbacks are more important in run fits than ever before. Avante Maddox is brilliant in the run game. Um, it's very, very basic, but you think back 10 years, NFL defense is running a lot of 4-3. You've got seven men to fill all the gaps. Now they're running a lot more 4-2, 5-2 fronts. Um, your slot cornerback becomes a bigger part of your run fit. Um, and that's very common. Any team's slot cornerback will be tested um, in run defense. I thought he was so good as a run defender, and that's a massive part of playing slot cornerbacks, not just about pass coverage. And in fact, on first and 10, second and 10 against teams that want to run the ball early on, that could be a really interesting weapon to use. I really am interested to see what happens when Roby comes back. Does he start? Do they try Sidney Brown maybe on specific downs, first and 10? Um, for example, when they're predicting run, when they're in the red zone, when they think they don't need as much man coverage, there is definitely a role for him in this defense. I do query a little bit where his role is. Like if he's going to be a deep safety, for example, if he replaces, let's say, Kevin Byard or Reed Blankenship because there's an injury, can he come downhill that fast? The Eagles play their safeties further back a lot. They do rotate them, but it's still more of a too high split safety defense. There's an argument that slot corner is actually a really good position for him because a lot of teams in the NFL these days play condensed formations as well, which means that you're even closer to the line of scrimmage. You also have the situation where the Eagles with their five-man fronts could drop out an edge defender and then blitz Sidney Brown as one of their five rushers on a play. So I'm really interested. I wonder if there could be a potential, I mean, I say long-term, maybe, but maybe there's a role where he does actually end up playing more slot corner than we think. Um, I am really interested to see how he looks there. I'm saying everything now. If CD Lamb moves into the slot 15 times on first and 10 next week and has seven catches for 105 yards and a touchdown, we're going to be screaming to get an actual slot cornerback in there. But it is tricky because you, like we said throughout this whole podcast, you can't do everything. There's not many slot cornerbacks that are brilliant in coverage and brilliant against the run. I was overall impressed. There's obviously a little bit he's got to clean up in terms of learning the playbook and that touchdown we've highlighted a million times already, so we won't go there again. But there are things he has to clean up. But you can't help but be excited when you watch him play. Like that that tackle when he comes from the slot corner position, there's not many slot cornerbacks in the league that will do that. I am really interested to see where he goes. Um, I'm not actually convinced his best position may end up as safety. Like I'm, I'm really interested now to see what they do. Could he be a third safety who comes in in like big nickel packages on third down? Um, there's loads of things you could do with him. He seems like a jack-in-the-box that you can use in a hundred different ways. And I don't know how the Eagles are going to use him because those players sound great, but we've seen with Nolan Smith this year as well. It's not always easy to get those players who don't do anything well, but do lots of things okay on the field. But I think we're going to see him again in a slot. I don't think this was a one-off, and I might be wrong. Bradley Roby might come back this, this week. We might never see Sidney Brown in a slot again. Yes, he's got issues in coverage, but I think a lot of them are in man coverage as well. I think if you're going to play a bit more zone, if you're going to just ask him to sort of spot drop or play like a curl flat or a hook defender, 
I don't see any reason why he couldn't do that. So I wonder if you can strategically use him on first down in certain situations where you know you're going to play zone coverage and you want his ability against the run. Because make no mistake, the Eagles don't have a slot cornerback on the roster who is as good in run fits or who is as good coming downhill as Sidney Brown was this Sunday. Yeah, he in college, he played 57% of his snaps in the box, uh, 21% in the slot and only 22% deep. So he's a guy that could be your third safety. He could be a linebacker in sub packages. I mean, there's a lot of usage for him, but there's not a lot of outside linebackers that could come across that formation and make that tackle, eh, much less slot cornerbacks playing from off coverage. Like that was just that play just popped on the film when I saw it. So, okay, uh, that that's my first two defensive takeaways. Let's throw it back to you here. What was your second takeaway watching the defense? Uh, so second takeaway, this is a very small one, actually, so I'm not going to go into huge detail here that's been nagging me um, the last couple of weeks. And if I was a great podcaster, I would have got the numbers up before the podcast. Um, but uh, snap counts. Uh, Joshua and Hassan Reddick are playing a lot at the moment, um, playing too much, in my opinion. And I am seeing just very little from the Eagles' um, edge defenders in backup. I think Derek Barnett's given them nothing as a pass rusher. Nolan Smith, unfortunately, is not giving them a great deal. And Brandon Graham looks like basically he's a part-time defensive tackle now inside sub-rusher. He is not really an edge defender. I'm a little bit worried because I think this Eagles defense relies, like most teams, on their pass rush, but even more so. And I think my worry with the Eagles edge players at the moment is Sweat and Reddick are amazing, but there's a lot of teams around the league that don't just have two pass rushers. Um, I mean, you saw what the 49ers did um, trading for Chase Young yesterday. I mean, teams know that you need multiple pass rushers. There's one snap that stands out with me from Nolan Smith. Um, which is something I wanted to throw um, in there as well. There was a play, and on my thread, if you are reading it, I think it was play um, seven. So one of the things he was doing is when they play these five-man fronts, they're dropping edge defenders back into coverage. I saw Josh Sweat drop into coverage in this game. We saw Hassan Reddick do it last week. Um, the other thing you can do is you can sort of put linebackers in the A-gap and drop them back. And I totally get it. You're trying to confuse the opposing offense about who is coming, who is blitzing. I think a big reason why the Eagles drafted Dodon Smith, and people argued to me a lot on Twitter when I said he could be an off-ball linebacker, I do not think he's a pass rusher. Now, I'm, I'll get to be seen. We will wait and see. I've repeatedly said, and I'm wrong about a million things, so please do not take this as gospel. Not that you would. Uh, but I, I don't think he's a 10-12 sack pass rusher. And I didn't, and I said I wouldn't take him that high in draft because of it. I think he's a jack-of-all-trades, can-do-everything type of linebacker. When he drops back into coverage, he doesn't look good at the moment. So that play you just showed, he looks a little bit unnatural. He looks a little bit stiff. He looks a little bit lost when he drops into coverage. And I think that's a real problem because I think the Eagles ideally want edge pass rushers who can win, who can blitz, who can rush a quarterback, but they could also drop into coverage because what it does is it creates um, unpredictability. You line up with a five-man front, but there's no way any offensive or sorry defensive coordinator wants to blitz five on every single play. You line up with five and then you drop one of your edge defenders out every play. That's sort of the goal. And the defense, the offense doesn't know what one's going to drop. So it doesn't matter that they know one will drop if you don't know what one it is. Um, I'm a little bit worried that Nolan Smith is not great when he drops into coverage. And if that's a theme that carries on about the edge position in general, because I think that's a big reason why he was asked or why he was drafted by the Eagles. And I'll be honest, I had a feeling we might see Adam Schefter notification pop up on my phone yesterday and see the Eagles have traded for a depth pass rusher I think we might be a little bit short edge and I know every position is bad and injuries could affect every position 
But I hope I'm wrong on this, but I wanted to bring it up because I don't think it's been spoken about much this year. If Reddick or Sweat go down with any sort of injury or whenever they're not on the field, I'm a little bit concerned about the depth of that position. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope we see more Nolan Smith. Despite what I have said, I would start playing Nolan Smith more snaps now. Because number one, you're going to wear down Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick before the playoffs. And number two, um, you need to know what you've got. Because if one of them does get injured and he has to step into a starting position, I, I don't think he's ready, basically, based on what we've seen this year. So I think we need to get him ready because Derek Barnett is giving nothing as a pass rusher. And Brandon Graham, we all love Brandon Graham. But I think he's much more of a power rusher. He's much more of an inside sub rusher on third down. He's good at ball rushing guards on third and 10, not necessarily bending the edge and winning on first and 10. So I think I'm a little bit concerned about the edge position despite the fact that I just think Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat are fantastic. Uh, I can't say enough about how good they are on tape. I know the numbers weren't great this week in terms of the pure st- uh, sacks, obviously, and people wondered, like, was it because the pass rush? It wasn't the pass rush. It was nothing to do with it. It was purely Washington's game plan. They got the ball out so quickly. And when the game did come up at the end of the game, or sorry, when the game was on the line at the end, that Hassan Reddick sack is just exceptional. Like, it is such a great play by Hassan Reddick. And the speed in which he gets around the right tackle, I mean, there's nothing Sam Howell can do. So I wanted to throw a little shout-out to Reddick and Sweat because I think they're brilliant. But I also wanted to just raise the concern that maybe we're getting a little bit reliant on those two. And defensive tackle, you see the benefit of being able to rotate. I'm a little bit concerned about how much uh, Reddick and Sweat are playing right now. Yeah, and I mean, the pass rush... Sam Howell had an average time to throw of 1.93 seconds in the first half of this game. So there was just not time for the pass rush to get there. And to your point about playing Nolan Smith more, I agree. The problem is you're through the easy part of your schedule at this point, and he's only played 47 snaps. Like the time to play Nolan Smith was September and October. And I'm not saying he should have been playing a lot, but there's no reason he couldn't have been playing 15, 20% of the snaps and actually let him rush the passer. Like that's the thing that bothers me is, and maybe they don't view him as a pass rusher if they didn't view, him, but they have to, if they didn't view him as a pass rusher, they wouldn't have taken him in the first round. Cause they simply don't take linebackers in the first round. So he's only got 25 pass rushing snaps in this game. He played four snaps and he was never allowed to rush the passer. And so I, I just would like to see them simplify like, Nolan Smith, your goal this year is to play 12 snaps a game and learn a pass rush counter move. Like, we're not trying to drop you into coverage. We're not working on everything. We're picking one thing, and it's that you need a pass rush counter move. And they haven't done that. I'm more concerned about Sweat than I am with Reddick. Reddick played a lot of snaps last year. Um, Sweat has the knee issue from college. It hasn't been an issue in the NFL, but I worry about that as snaps accumulate. He only played like 54% of the snaps last season so uh, you're right it's something to monitor there um i think sweat and reddick have been so good but you need that rotation and we haven't had it i didn't expect the eagles really to make a move at edge rusher but i wouldn't have hated it especially seeing what a guy like chase young went for not not that washington would have traded him to you for that but still yeah thank you for that washington they love just getting away players don't they apparently to the 49ers um, but anyway, we've been on defense for a while. So do you want to wrap things up with your, and my final point similar, actually. So what was your third takeaway or third thing that you found interesting about this game on defense? 
Yeah, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis each only played 17 snaps in this game. Uh, Jordan Davis popped up on the injury report with a hamstring injury in practice. Jalen Carter injured his back in the game. It's just so notable when they're gone. Like they miss those guys so much. As good as, you know, as much as we've sung the praises of Milton Williams, you don't want him playing that many snaps. You don't want Fletcher Cox playing 50 snaps. But the biggest thing for me was just the impact in the run game. Uh, When Jalen Carter was on the field, the Eagles allowed one rushing yard per attempt. When Jordan Davis was on the field, they allowed two yards per attempt. When those guys were off the field, seven and a half and eight and a half yards per attempt, respectively. So they miss those guys. They need them both back fully healthy. Uh, It's really is vital to how this run defense works and to how this pass rush works. So hopefully those guys are healthy and able to come back full strength uh, for the Dallas game. Yeah, my takeaway was basically the same thing. Um, You can't, I, I just can't watch the Eagles defense and without Jordan Davis and feel secure about their run defense. There was a play that terrified me. Um, it was play free on my thread when the because what the Eagles have basically done this year is they have got away with the best of both worlds. They've been a too high safety defense with light boxes, yet have been great against the run. That didn't last in this game. Um, this play, Brian Robinson, I think it was on the second or first drive. I think it was twenty nine yard run. Um, he's just it looked so much like last year. It was scarily felt like I was watching last year's Eagles. They've got a four man front. They've got two linebackers. Uh, Washington's got seven men in the box and the Eagles have got six and there's just not enough men like and what they're doing is Washington just outright ignores Darius Slay just completely ignores him so we're not going to bother blocking him because we can then create even more of a box count in basically we can even have even more numerical advantage inside because we'll just leave him so actually the receiver point blank ignores Slay and runs up to block the safety and we saw last year Darius Slay really struggle in the Eagles defense and it's harsh because you're putting a lot on his plate but this is my problem with the four-man front without Jordan Davis. It asks their cornerbacks to be good in run fits. And I don't, and I actually think Slay is arguably better than Bradbury, who I just think sometimes is a bit soft, if I'm being brutally honest, um, in, on certain plays. Slay tries, he's just not very good. So I'm a little concerned. There's a few things creeping in about the defense that concern me a little bit. Um, when Jordan Davis goes out, and you mentioned that he clearly wasn't healthy this week. Hopefully they'll rest again for the Cowboys. And if they rested him and Carter, hoping that they'd win that game without those two playing a lot, they got it right because they did just. But I do worry a little bit about what this defense is like without Jordan Davis, because I don't see another clear nose tackle. You could always add an old free agent like Joseph or something, but I think it's just structurally. I think it's the way the defense is set up. They want to be a too high safety defense. We saw it last year. We see it this year. Yes, they rotate the safeties down. And yes, safety occasionally comes into the box. But if you look at all the numbers, they are a light box defense. I think they rank, rank top three in light boxes in the NFL. Light boxes very simply work when you have a defensive lineman like Jordan Davis who takes up two blockers on every single play. Because otherwise, you just get outnumbered. As good as Fletcher Cox are, is as good as I thought Milton Williams, who once again played well, there is no one on the defensive line like Jordan Davis who routinely wins against um, double teams. And it is a concern to me what this defense will look like if Jordan Davis, who has had conditioning problems in the past, who has never played this much in his life in terms of he's been playing 50, 60% of the snaps, and then he pops up with a hamstring injury uh, at the end of the week and only plays, what, 15 to 18 snaps. So it is a concern long-term. It's a marathon, not a sprint this season. And the defensive line in general, there's a few things just creeping in that worry me a little bit about rotation. The defense is set up to play um, over the course of the year. Yeah, uh, 66% uh, 
uh, light box count. So light box on 66% of the snaps, which is second in the NFL on this specific play you're talking about. The thing that really peeves me is so the right guard and the right tackle, they double team Fletcher Cox. The left guard is pulling through uh, the C gap to go get Zach Cunningham. Nicholas Morrow comes downhill and he just runs right. Like you're trying to double team Fletcher Cox and then get a guy to turn loose and climb to the second level. I thought Cox did a decent job of like eating that double team until Nicholas Morrow just decides to run right into it anyways. Just, just runs right into it. Don't get around it. Just run right into the guy. And I thought that was a really bad rep by Nicholas Morrow when I watched that one on film. Yeah, it was. And it's also a sign of how I always talk about players being more important than scheme, which is true, but scheme can also help out players. And I think Morrow looks a lot better playing behind a five-man front when he basically can just get down here as quick as he can without anyone being able to get to the second level. And when you saw him in a light box there, all of a sudden it looked a little bit like deer in headlights because they didn't have the numbers though. It was a structural, it was bad play in general. They were in a light box. They couldn't handle the numbers and their only free guy was Darius Slay, who doesn't have the ability, unfortunately, to really make a difference as a run defender. All right. Well, that does it for the negative part of this podcast. We talked about the defense. We're going to throw it to a quick break and then we will be back to turn the page and talk about the offense. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. we are back here on the Shane page, turning the page from the defense to the offense. We're going to talk about the things that stood out to us on the offense, uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So Johnny, why don't you lead us off here? What was your first thing that stood out while you were watching the film? Yeah, I'm feeling very smug about this one because there's been a bit of criticism this year, which has surprised me, to be honest, about Jalen Hurts. And I think I might have said in our first ever podcast two weeks ago or last week, I can't remember what one it was, but I said, you could take away Jaden Hurts' running ability and he's just good. And lo and behold, we actually got to see it this week because he clearly was not comfortable outside the pop, outside of structure. He obviously was hurt, yet he was fantastic. And I talk about Jaden Hurts because I don't think there's been many players that have come into the league and just changed who they are so well. Like he is an out and out, just good pocket passer. Like when he came into the league, he had troubles. He was a one read and run quarterback. Okay, then he can start reading a defense. Ah, oh, but he can't throw it over the middle of the field. Okay, now we can do that. Um, okay, fumbling was an issue. And granted, he did fumble a couple of times this or once this week and last week. But you know what I mean? His turnovers in general have been very good as a career starter. He just wins games. And I couldn't not talk about some of his playing structure this week. There was just a lot of really, really good 
snaps. Like, you know about the touchdowns. I I spoke about AJ Brown a lot last week. I feel like I don't really need to this week because everyone who has a brain and eyes could see how good AJ Brown was. But some of the plays I just thought were so, so impressive. Um, the, the For example, if you bring up uh, clip four on my thread, it's a simple um, out on your favorite concept crash with an in route and, and AJ Brown running a deep um, out route. It's just the way Hurts just looks so calm in the pocket. He knows he's got pressure. He knows it's a blitz, but he reads it out very, very easily. Um, he knows that AJ Brown's going to come open and he just drops an absolute dime. And I think he's processing the speed in which he eliminates what isn't there. He sees this very early. He knows that AJ Brown's going to be one-on-one. -on -one. He knows he's got this. He doesn't panic. His footwork's very clean. He just looks so professional as a quarterback. Um, there was a couple of times in this game that I thought he used his eyes and he used um, sort of um, pump fakes as well really effectively. Um, there was two fantastic throws he threw over the middle of the field. Um, my favorite one was to Devontae Smith, which is play seven on my thread if you are watching at home, where he basically reads the mic defender and he's staring at the mic and he sees that the mic goes to the left-hand side of the defense. So the Eagles are in a two-by-two two set and you basically read the mic. Whatever way the mic is shaded, you know you've got the advantage on the opposite side. So Washington's basically got like a four-on-two on the left. Hurst recognizes this instantly and knows that if there's four-on-two on the left, he has then got a two-on-three on the right-hand side. But he doesn't straight up look at them onto Smith. He basically stares at the mic and stares at Dallas Goddard. He's trying to get this defender to um, one of the linebackers in like a hook curl zone if you can picture if you're playing Madden you're trying to get this guy to come up and then you throw it over the, over their heads and it's just a really nice throw and it's nothing too complicated it's nothing like it looks really easy on film when you're watching it live you think oh yeah that's a good throw to Devontae Smith but some of the stuff he's doing just mentally and processing and the way he's seeing the field is so so good um, I'll give you one more example um, that I just love. And it's actually the exact same play. So it's clip 10 on my thread. And it's identical. It's the same play, but this time it's from empty. And this time the Eagles have three on the left and two on the right. Uh, but once again, he's reading the mic. Uh, and what I love about this one is there's not as much space in the middle of the field to hit AJ Brown. And I posted the second angle because you can see just this little tiny shoulder fake. It's so small, but he's trying to get 62 or 52 out of the way and trying to get him to react to Dallas Goddard. And he just takes a little extra step, and he just shimmies his body. If any of you have ever seen the videos of Dak Prescott warming up, that everyone went mad about because <laughs> it was hilarious. It's like that kind of play. He just shimmies his body ever so slightly. But if you watch it, you could see the linebacker just jump to the outside for a split second. And the second he does that, he then hits AJ Brown right behind him. I just think he's got a really good grip on this offense. He's played under a lot of offensive coordinators. He is the perfect guy off the field to want to support. I've doubted him when he was a rookie. I was one of those that was talking about potentially getting another quarterback after his rookie year and not being set and not settling because I just didn't think it was possible for a quarterback to progress this much as a pocket passer. And I feel like we are legitimately at a stage now where even if his mobility is a problem, and obviously the Eagles need him to be mobile, and I'm going to talk about that more with a later point, but... He's just a really, really good quarterback, and he's not that old. He looks like a veteran out there at times. Um, you forget that he's only 25 years old. The way he's progressed and the way he's learned the game, um, it gives me confidence that he's not going to be one of those quarterbacks that when he loses a step um, will not be the same guy because he just looks really, really um, efficient. And I thought this was such a good game. All the numbers back it up. All the EPA numbers suggest it was just incredibly effective. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on Hurts, but I could talk about him for a while because I just thought it was such 
a good performance. And it's just really cool to see his development and see how in command he is of the offense. Um, but yeah, his processing is the thing that's really surprised me because there was a while away a while ago where he didn't process things well i remember from his rookie year looking at snaps where he would stare down open receivers and just not pull it and you just don't really see it anymore like he knows what he's going to see he knows how defense is going to play him and yeah the way he processes information i like to talk about eliminating what's not there which is the idea that basically with the examples i showed earlier on when he knows he's got four on two on the left hand side just don't look at that side of the field at all it might look like a half field read but actually you quite often give the quarterback a choice mirrored concepts on either side pick the side you want to go to and he has to read a defender very quickly decide what side he's going to go to and then get the ball out in under three seconds and it looks easy on film but there's a lot of callbacks around the league that can't do it and there's a lot of 25 year olds around the league that are nowhere near as advanced as he is so it's just really cool and um, i just thought it was a really good performance overall by Jalen hurts yeah that second play you talked about to devonta smith uh it's certainly a decision by the mike linebacker to open up to the top of the screen when there's that's the weakness of the passing formation the running backs on the bottom of the screen so it's three on that side generally you would open up that way and when i watched the film i thought well that's probably aj brown in the slot so he's concerned about him it was alameda zacchaeus i don't know why i don't know why the mic opened up to the top of the screen instead of the bottom but uh, that was a good one and uh, i'm going to talk about empty the eagles using empty and I, the one play you showed to aj brown is in my in my arsenal for empty the eagles are third in the league in dropbacks out of empty and that doesn't count their draws that they run hertz is only averaging 0.023 epa per dropback from empty it's not because the plays don't work it's because it's been poorly executed so far in this game hertz was eight of ten passing from empty for 55 yards but it's not what it should have been and so i want to look at four plays real quickly the first one is the third down on the first drive of the game it leads to the three and out they motion deandre swift out of the backfield and they get a linebacker following him they love to do that because we know it's man coverage now and they send him on the vertical route sometimes they'll throw that they threw it once in this game and it didn't connect but you like your shot there but they just run a little rub route with goddard and smith and like it's there but hertz puts the ball a little behind goddard goddard should still catch it i mean it's a little bit of both worlds there both of those guys should have made a better play that should have moved the sticks it doesn't you get off the field on the opening drive of the game with a three and out not ideal sorry shane just uh, quickly when we talk at that player but you talk about execution and um, i was very close to putting Devonte smith as someone i wanted to talk about today because he had a couple of bad plays i would also blame him slightly there so um i think the announcer might have mentioned it live but as i mentioned i was in the bar so it was very loud and i wasn't really too sure but he doesn't do a good enough job setting the pick route and he needs to do a better job not deliberately causing pi but just getting his body in the way so that's a great example of what we talk about execution and when we talk about like good coaching that's the thing we're talking about it's the it's the minor things in the nfl everyone can run good plays everyone's got access to the same plays all these players are good athletes it's the minor details and he just needs to slow him down for half a second longer. And I don't think that was the only mistake he made in this game from MC. I don't know if you're going to mention the other one I a am. little bit. Yeah. I thought you would. So I didn't throw Devontae yes. Smith as a point in there. Um, I also think he may have dropped the fourth down big conversion that he had. So oh, he did. That was not a catch. Yeah, I but... think uh, he wasn't one of my points, but I, I would like to see a little bit more from Devontae Smith moving forward. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish your point about MT. Apologies. Yeah, that's one like, you know, in basketball, you know, you run like the pick and roll. For example, I don't know why people use other sports analogies to talk about football 
it's I don't like it when people do that, but I'm about to do it. But like you make contact with the guy you're screening and whichever way he goes, you roll that direction towards the ball to stay in his way longer. Like right here, all Devonte Smith needs to do is turn his shoulders to Hertz and flash his hands. Don't run into the guy. Just get in his way and flash your hands like you're sitting down for the ball and it's not going to get flagged more than likely. So also, I thought he could have done a better job too of getting in the way there. You might as well at me because last week I threw in a soccer or English football reference. So next time just at me, Shane, rather than come at me well, for other takes. We all, we all do it and I don't know why we do it, but we, it, yeah, all the time. So um, this next one, I thought this was a really cool play design. It was the bubble screen to Devonta Smith where they did the little speed out motion to Dallas Goddard to get him moving. And I mean, it doesn't go for a big gain. It's a first down, but I just thought it was really cool. Look to throw out there. You get a Zacchaeus blocking on the edge. That's important for a reason that we're going to come back to on the next play. But I just thought that was a really cool one. Uh, something that I liked seeing from Brian Johnson in the offense, but now we get to this one. It's a third down. You're in empty to the bottom of the screen. You have uh, De Deandre Swift, at the boundary, and then you've got uh, Devon, or excuse me, you've got DeAndre Swift, Devonta Smith, and then Dallas Goddard. And the Eagles think that they're going to get a nickel blitz, and they do get a nickel blitz. And so what that means is Washington's playing two over three, and so they're going to run a tunnel screen to DeAndre Swift. Ideally, you need your receiver and your tight end to block a safety and a cornerback, and then you've got Jordan Mailata in space to play cleanup duty. And this this should be a touchdown. Devonta Smith misses the block and they need to stop asking Devonta Smith to block because he doesn't do the best job at it. He, I mean, that's not necessarily a shot at him. He's 165 pounds. That one, he should have done a better job. He just got to get in the way. That one should have been a touchdown and they settle for a field goal. And then the last one is the one you talked about. It's the Dallas got it runs a sit route and you get the dig route from AJ Brown behind it against cover two. I thought that was just a beautiful throw by the Eagles. It allows you to do so much like spreading out the defense. You can make them declare before the snap, is it man or zone? I especially like when they motion a, or a running back from the backfield out. Like If you're going to put a running back out there and empty, start with him in the backfield and just motion him out so you can see how the defense shifts. Uh, I really like the Eagles from empty, even though it hasn't been hyper productive this year. The opportunities are there. It just has been an execution problem so far. What's amazing about the Eagles' use of empty as well is that basically empty is brilliant if you've got a mobile quarterback. So it's so much better when Jalen Hurts can run. And they're doing all this without the threat of him running. I mean, it felt like they use empty all the time on third down. It feels like Eagles on third down just go to empty by default at the moment. Um, you'd like to see them get better, but I think when Hurts can start adding some mobility, uh, that'll make a difference. Before we go on to our second points, I just want to mention, I'm going to disagree with you. It's always fun when we disagree in the podcast, Ooh, whatever okay. likes. Uh, I am totally fine with asking Devontae Smith to block on that play. Um, and if you bring it up again, I'll explain why. Because I watched this play a few times. Um, I don't think, and it's very easy to say, we'll stick AJ Brown there because he's a better blocker. All right, sorted. Um, I don't think the, the Washington um, commanders are going to run a nickel blitz if AJ Brown is on that side of the field, I think the benefit of someone like AJ Brown is the distraction he gives to opposing defenses. And I think by putting AJ Brown on the other side, you're almost forcing Washington to blitz from the other side, if that makes sense. So actually, the more I watch it, I don't think it's a hard block at all from Devontae Smith. I think all we need to do is get in the way. And there was a really great comment um, on my timeline from someone on Twitter. And of course, 
or X or whatever it's called. And of course, I've totally forgotten it. So as I ramble on here, I will try and find it where somebody said about how his blocking technique is just so out of sync. I don't think where I disagree with you is I've seen some people say, and I saw other people say the same tweet as you saying, um, oh no, like it, it was just, it's bad asking Devontae Smith to block. Yes, he's a small receiver, but I think you have to accept the fact that he's small. And if he wants to be a starting outside receiver and be a very good one at that, he's going to have to just do a little bit um, about blocking. Like, I don't think it's that difficult block. I actually can't find the comment I was going to say, but there was someone who made a great tweet to me and said about how he didn't need to do what he did. And he almost tried to undercut the cornerback when all he had to do was just get in his way. So I'm only going to disagree with you in that you could argue it's not a great call asking Devontae Smith to block. I would argue that it was a perfect call where he got exactly what he wanted. It comes down to execution. And if Devontae Smith can't make then unfortunately that does limit his ability somewhat because you want your starting receivers to be able to make at least an um, average block like that. The other thing on that play that I had to mention was Jordan Mylata cracks me up. He is flying down like a tight end. That man is a joke. Like he is the most <laughs> athletic offensive lineman. I know Kelsey's quick, but Kelsey's a big when he does it. He looks like a freight train just charging down the field. Like I think that goes for a touchdown because of how good he is in space. And it's such a shame because it was actually a really, really great call um, on third down. But yeah, you, you did a great job there um, pointing out how it wasn't a play calls from empty. It wasn't like the defense had a read on it. It was more of an execution issue than a uh, schematic problem. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on to your second point. Keep this moving along here. I think you wanted to talk about the run game. You're, you're every Eagles fan's favorite. You're going to talk about running the football. I'm going to talk about running the football. Um, I have such a fascination with the Eagles run game because I went and spent like half my life watching the Eagles run game last year and writing about every concept for BGN. So I'm only going to talk very briefly, actually. It's not one you need a great deal with clips for. You can picture this very easily. Um, the Eagles want to be a shotgun offense because of the benefit it gives them with the zone read. The problem is Jalen Hurts can't run a lot. And this is going to surprise people when I say this, but the Eagles run game has been a little bit more basic this year. Like they did a lot of like dart, which is basically tackle power. They did a lot of um, counter QB counter bash, which is the quarterback running the ball a lot more last year. The quarterback is not playing a role in the Eagles run game currently. So if you, if you visually picture the Eagles run game right now, it's basically no ability to run from the quarterback, no under center runs, which we know is, sometimes easier to get running downhill. Um, not a physical running back, two slight running backs in Swift, who I like, but he's a very good player, but he's not a 20-carrier game player, in my opinion. And the second running back being Kenneth Gainwell, um, there's not actually a great deal there. Like, when Hertz isn't mobile, I do worry about the run game a little bit because it's quite basic. It's basically, at the moment, it's inside zone, outside zone, split zone, which is a form of inside zone. And against good defensive lines, when the Eagles couldn't really get any pop in this game, they weren't, like, getting a great deal of push. Some people asked me, like, tweeted me, could I look at the run game and what went wrong? And it felt like every single run play was the same. There was I was watching it, like, what really went wrong? And I'm, and I'm like, well, they got half-decent blocks. Nobody totally whiffed, but the Washington commanders just played it well. And that's a little bit concerning. Because the Eagles haven't had many explosive run plays this year. And I still think the offense needs to have the running game as a big part of their offense. I don't really care about the run-pass ratio. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about more about if Hertz isn't able to run the ball effectively, dare I say this, do we need to go back to a little bit of under center, get Rashard Penny involved, get a little bit more going downhill quickly, get some more five and six-yard gains, 
on first down because otherwise you are relying a little bit too much on Hurts. And I'm totally okay with a shotgun running game. But I think if the quarterback can't run, then you take out so much out of your playbook. You take out QB draw. Um, you take out QB counter bash. You take out basically the zone read because the edge, the edge defender can just start ignoring Hurts and crashing down as an extra run defender in the box. So I'm just a little bit worried about the overall outlook of the running game because it has to be a strength of this offense and with the offensive line, it should be. But I don't know about you. I couldn't point to like anything that was wrong with the running game. It just didn't really do a lot. And then when I went back and thought like philosophically about it, which is what I like to do when I'm laying in bed at night and can't sleep and think like, what is this running game actually right now? It's a shotgun based running game that runs three plays, basically split zone, inside zone and outside zone. And the quarterback can't keep it on any of them. So maybe it's not surprising that Washington did quite a good job stopping it because we're seeing around the league that zone running games aren't working a great deal. Five band fronts are neutralizing them a lot because the whole point of a zone running game is you get a double team, then you get to the second level and defenses are good at stopping that. If you look at the really successful running teams, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of counter. There's a lot of QB counter bash. And the Eagles don't seem to want to do that as much without Jalen Hurts being able to run the ball. So I wonder, do we need something else? Is it time for a bit of a sharp penny? Is it time for a bit more under center power um, counter? Do we go a little bit more old school traditional offense? Because at times I think there is a role for that type of offense because I do worry a little bit if Hertz can't carry it. The running game has actually got a bit bland, which is something I've never said about the Eagles in a long time. Yeah, if you look across the NFL, uh, there's only two teams in the NFL that run the ball out of shotgun well. It's the Eagles and the Baltimore Ravens. What do they have in common? They have the two most dynamic running quarterbacks in the NFL. Maybe you throw Josh Allen in there. His is more of a physical imposing this thing, but it's hard to run the ball out of shotgun. And the cheat code that lets you do it is having a quarterback that can contribute. And without Hertz, I, I, I tweeted the splits with Cam Jurgens on and off the field this week, but I really think the bigger issue is not that Sua Opeta is a massive downgrade. He is. It's that Jalen Hurts has lost his mobility coinciding with that. And um, it's hard to run the ball out of shotgun without your quarterback. But at the same time, the passing game is working so well and it throws everything about the timing in your concepts. Like it's not as simple as Madden uh, audibling from under center four verticals to shotgun four verticals. Everything really? about your drop is different. Everything about, and I know, I know that you know that, but it, it's not just as simple as changing that because it changes the footwork. It changes the, the depth of the routes. I mean, not on four verticals, those routes don't break, but it, it changes everything. And so I think I lean into saying you stay in shotgun, especially this week. Maybe you try to add a little bit of uncenter, under center stuff over the bye week, but you want Hertz to get healthy and be able to run your normal offense. You don't want to have to change that offense. This is the problem with majoring in shotgun, though. It, it's the downside to it. You do it because it allows you to keep eyes downfield when you're executing play fakes. You don't have to turn your back to the defense. The cost is if your quarterback can't contribute in the running game, it gets so much harder. And I think that's what the Eagles are experiencing. Yeah, 100%. I think it's just because I love an under center power running game. Like go back through my tweets, like bring back Jordan Howard, bring back Trey Sermon, like get them on the field. It's, it's what I love philosophically. I can't help it. We've all got our biases. Like where's Jordan Howard these days? Give him a call. I still remember those drives when it was just under center. 
like Jordan Howard with four yards, Legarrette six Blunt. yards, five yards. Yes, bring them back. What are they doing? Let's <laughs> get on the phone, Howie. You can sign free agents still. Um, I, I, I totally get your point. And I'm not even saying I would do the under center thing. And I think if Hurts can run the ball, I'm fine with it. I'm thinking if Hurts' mobility is an issue this year, maybe it's something they do need to consider because I don't think you can rely on Hurts throwing the ball around the field everywhere, every week, because some defenses are going to be better um, at stopping the pass than Washington are. Yeah. All right. Let's roll on. We're turning in a marathon episode this week. Um, I'll keep my second point short. It's the Eagles usage of pistol. One of the things that you like out of pistol is you still get your quarterback in the shotgun drop. He can keep his eyes downfield, but it opens up the ability to not tip off which way you're running the ball. You put the back behind him in pistol. Now we could run inside zone or outside zone, either direction with, you know, if he's, you guys know you play Madden, the running backs on the right, you slide your line to the left, crash them to the left, right? That's the only way the run can go. Obviously there's counters and things, but the Eagles have started to use more pistol. And I like it, but the Eagles have a definite tendency in pistol in this game. They were in pistol eight times, six rushing attempts for 15 yards. They had two dropbacks and they were both screen passes on the season. They have 38 rushing attempts versus 13 dropbacks out of pistol. Four of those 13 dropbacks are screen passes. So basically when the Eagles are in pistol, only 18% of the time is it a true dropback. 82% of the time, I think that's the math, 82. Yeah, 82% of the time it's either a run or it's a, it's a bubble screen or a tunnel screen. I like using pistol. You have to flesh out that passing concept or defenses are going to key off on that. Yeah, and actually, it, the reason why I mentioned the other center point, it's funny how our brain sees the NFL in the same way, it was there was an outside zone snap where it was pistol, and it was um, they ran to the left, and DeAndre Swift didn't really get anything on it. And I was basically thinking, this is the Eagles' way of telling me they want to run under center, and they're trying to get away with it by doing it a different way. And that's all well and good, but it didn't really work. And it's sort of, it's where I got the idea from being under center, because I watched that play and thought, Ah, oh, that going pistol is basically like a, as you mentioned, it's a in between shotgun and under center. It sort of tries to give you the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, so that's really interesting. I didn't know the stats about pistol, so that I'm um, well done for you for getting them um, and looking at that because they're not great, are they? When you when you are that um, when you're that obvious about what you're going to do, that's not a great sign. Um, as we're running. As always, over because we can't help it. We love talking about Eagles too much. It's a sickness at this point. Um, I'm going to very, very quickly give you my final point. Um, the RPO game I thought was really good this week. I thought it was back. I thought the Eagles have been gradually getting better at better at using it. Um, my first tweet from my friend this week shows a simple slant route to AJ Brown, and it was just um, easy as it gets. Really, the Eagles run an RPO. Um, they read the safety, I think, coming downhill. Jaden Hurts reads him, uh, takes the ball away and throws it to AJ Brown. Actually, the more I watched this play, the more impressed I was with Hurts about how good he is at holding the ball to the last minute. He's really good at, the Eagles must, coaches must do a really good job at not sort of fumbling at these handoffs because they're not as easy as they look. And they really do a good job of holding it in the running back's belly till the very, very last second. And what I also loved about it, just how simple it is, like, I'm all for simplicity on offense. It's basic. I thought the offensive line are doing a much better job at not getting downfield now. They haven't got called the last couple of weeks, and they run a lot more. So I'm hoping the Eagles are starting to get back to their RPO world because I think they're so, so effective at it. And that will also help the running game. When people moan about run-pass ratio, 
The reason why they don't run the ball a lot is sometimes because teams are still crashing down on the run. So that would have been a run, for example, for all you run-pass ratio complainers uh, on WIP or wherever it is you complain in America, in Philly. Um, they, that would have been I'm a run. pretty sure they mostly complain on my Twitter feed. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. <laughs> fair enough. So if you if you complain about the run-pass ratio, tweet at Shane Half. NFL. No, no, no. They already um, do that. That's where they go to complain. Oh, fair enough. We've already found them. Um, I, I get it as well. I'm the one that's saying they probably should run the ball a little bit more as well in this episode. But some of them are going to be throws when a defense crashes down. I just like the design of the RPO game this week. I thought it was good. Um, so I enjoyed the way they used that as a, as a tool. And I hope they keep building on it because it was so effective last season. All right. Uh, and then that'll bring me to my last point. Uh, it's our concept of the week. Uh, four verticals. Another Madden reference. Everybody's favorite Madden play, four verticals, because it beats every coverage. Uh, I've got three clips here that I'll show and talk through. You guys can check this out on the thread if you're listening on Apple iTunes or Spotify later after you leave us a review. But this first one is against cover two. And, you know, it's just it's a two by two set, four verticals. Everybody runs a vertical route. and the linebackers have to bail out and you get DeAndre Swift just right here. Check down. That's a five yard pass, seven yards. Like I, I view that for people that really get frustrated with the run game. I just view this as an extension of the running game. You're getting, you're running back the ball and you're get, but you're getting him the ball past the line of scrimmage where he can turn around contact free. Like that's what you want in the running game, getting past the line of scrimmage without contact. So they drop really deep here. You get it out to DeAndre Swift. Now, later in the game, there's a rep where they go cover three. Uh, they're going to rotate into cover three, and it's four verticals again. Against cover three, you want to throw at the seams, right? You hit the seam ball. Cover two, you can hit that whole shot along the boundary uh, between the cornerback and the safety. Cover three, you want to attack the seams, but Washington knows that, and so the safety is really slow at the top of the screen coming down because he's defending this corner or this seam route it's just a little dump off to Kenny Gainwell and he gets the ball, makes a guy miss. It turns into like a 15, 18 yard catch, just a little check down. And you love to see that. And so I, I liked how the Eagles use that. And so then we get another one here. This is going to be four verticals. This time Washington is in cover two man. Now cover two man that beats four verticals, right? And our rock, paper, scissors cover two man beats four verticals because You've just got a corner running vertically with everyone. It's a blitz. And so the running back has to stay in. There's no check down. What do you do? You just lost the play, except you have a guy named AJ Brown. And sometimes when Jalen Hurts sees AJ Brown two on one, he just throws the ball anyways. And AJ Brown goes up and makes a catch over Emmanuel Forbes for a touchdown. So uh, I noticed that in this game, a lot of four verticals, they beat cover two zone. They beat cover three. They beat cover two man with it. Just a simple concept. Uh, if you guys are out there playing Madden this week, try it out. Everyone online will hate you. Yeah, four verticals is brilliant. Um, I'll give you my final point for today. Um, I never, ever see a defense play cover two man against the Eagles. So if you're wondering why, because on Madden, I play cover two man all the time. It's the best play in the world because you can't get beat over the top and you get man coverage. You can press. Does everything. Um, basically, not many teams play around the NFL because quarterback scramble games are too good. You play cover two man, you've got two safeties deep, and you've got man coverage everywhere turning their backs to the quarterback. Quarterback escapes. And I think that tells you 
what the Washington Commanders thought about Jalen Hurts' mobility in this game. I am convinced, and I might be wrong, there is no way teams are playing cover two man against the Eagles if Jalen Hurts is fully healthy because there is so much room to scramble. It's a massive reason why having a mobile quarterback is helpful because it gives you more predictable coverage in obvious part, even in obvious passing situations as well. Um, so I found it weird because I was like, oh, I'm watching the Eagles versus cover two man. I never watched the Eagles play cover two man, ever. Um, so that was just quite weird. I actually thought Hurst adapted to it pretty well because I doubt it's something he's seen that often himself either. So he probably had to get used to it um, a little bit as well. But yeah, overall, what can you say? It was a fantastic offensive performance. Jalen Hurst was brilliant. The concept looked good. There's a few points we're going to nitpick over, but that's what we do here. Um, we go quite detailed. So it's always going to be things we find. But you can't help but be really impressed by Brian Johnson, Jalen Hurst, and the offense in general in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you told... On a normal week, if you told Jalen Hurts that he was getting cover two man, he would probably motion that running back out of the backfield and run five verticals and then just scramble. Like You can't be doing that against mobile quarterbacks. Obviously, Jalen Hurts couldn't make him pay with his legs in this opportunity, but that's A.J. Brown just erases a coverage that should have worked. So, uh, yeah, like you said, I, I thought this was one of the – well, statistically, this was the best passing performance of Jalen Hurts' career, 0.72 EPA per drop back. Like, if you think about that, every time the Eagles drop Jalen Hurts back, they basically scored three-quarters of a point. That's just phenomenal. So offense really good. Defense really bad is the too-long-didn't-read version, but we hope you guys – read slash listen to the whole thing again if you are listening on a podcasting platform please 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 give us a five-star rating and review let us know what you think of the format of the show we're open to taking questions suggestions from there uh so please let us know in those reviews you can check out the film thread it will be up on twitter whenever rachel posts the link from bgn radio i'll put together the clips and get those out so you can find it on my timeline, Johnny will retweet it. We'll have it in the show notes as well. So, Johnny, any final thoughts before we get out of here today? Uh, nervous. Big game this weekend. Feels like a huge game. 49ers are definitely not the team I think we maybe fought at the start. They're going to lose a, a couple more, I reckon. Um, so the one seed feels like it's very much up for grabs. If the Eagles can do the business this weekend, nervous because I'm always nervous for Dallas week. But, yeah. Yeah, Go Eagles. huge game. Like. It, honestly, it's like a four-game swing going into the bye week because if the Eagles win, they're up two games with the tiebreaker for now, which is essentially up three games. If they lose, they'd be tied without the tiebreaker, so essentially down a game. So massively different feeling going into the bye week, up two games with the tiebreaker versus being tied and not having the tiebreaker. Uh, hopefully the Eagles are able to get healthy. They're able to sort out their communication issues in the secondary we talked about. Uh, and. and take Dallas down on Sunday. Regardless of what happens, Johnny and I will be here next week breaking it all down for you. It'll just be a little bit more fun uh, if the Eagles drop like a you know 50-point game on the Cowboys. So uh, we are going to get out of here. That is all for this episode of On the Shane Page. Make sure you smash that subscribe button so you get all the shows on the BG and radio feed. Let us know how we're doing, what you think of the show, any suggestions that you guys have. Five-star rating and reviews are always appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Shane Half NFL. He is at Johnny Page 9, and we will see you guys next time. Go Birds.